All right, gentlemen, I've got some taglines for you today. Let's see if you guys can determine which alien film they represent, okay? Okay. Are these real taglines or these made-up bullshit that you think is funny? These are real taglines written by real individuals. Ooh, all right, let's go. Made-up bullshit that you think is funny, Mark. Garrett is (laughs) coming out swinging today. This is going to be a lively one, I can tell. All right, well, let's start off with this one. At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. And these are all alien films, right? They're all aliens. I was going to say four. Uh, What is that? Resurrection. Yeah, I thought it was Resurrection also. Okay, well, I tricked both of you. It's Star Trek Wrath of Khan. I thought John might know his favorite franchise, so it was a test, and he failed. So. Wait, 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 wait. That's not a goof. <laughs> when we asked you if it was from the Alien series, you just said yes. So you lied to us, man. I said there were aliens. Oh, oh boy. Here we go. I'm calling shenanigans on this one. That's it. Let's quit the podcast, John. (laughs) Look, don't quit over a goof. We can make it up, fellas. Let me read you another one real quick. All right. This one is from the Alien franchise. Okay. I'll be specific this time. Okay. In space, no one can hear you scream. On Earth, it won't matter. Oh, Oh, shit. I thought this was like a softball out the gate, but no. I, you know what? I think maybe this is one. I think this is an alternate version of one. I would concur with that. I can't think where, how else it would fit on Earth. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to concur with Garrett on this one. Okay, you're both wrong. Let me read you another tagline. Same movie. It began on their world. It will end on ours. I already forgot, but is, is it the one after Prometheus? No, this is Prometheus. This is definitely a Prometheus tagline. Okay. It's not. God damn it. All right, one more. The last place we want to be is in the middle. Oh, is this Alien versus Predator? That's not canon. That's not canon, though. (laughs) It is, John. It's Alien versus Predator Requiem. What the fuck is wrong with you, Mark? (laughs) I thought I was given pretty good hints on Earth, in the middle. I think by John got it at the end, though. Pretty close. Well, he got one of the two. They're very good hints once you realize we're actually like once once you remember that was a film. So <laughs> yeah. um, like once you said once you said Alien versus Predator, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. But honestly, to be fair, I forgot those movies existed until you just said that. And we'd be better off if everybody forgot them. I think they're terrible movies. Yeah, you know, that's good to know, because I was thinking last night when we when I finished watching Aliens, I was like, I wonder if Aliens versus Predator holds up at all. Uh, I'm guessing no, based on y'all's reaction. I haven't watched it since they came out, John, and I hated them so much that I never cared to try them again. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even really remember them. I mostly, I one of them takes place in Antarctica, and there's like a pyramid that everyone's trapped in. That's what I remember. Uh, other than that, I can't remember any. I don't even remember who wins. <laughs> so pretty forgettable. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Here we go. The path to paradise begins in hell. Now that might be Prometheus. That's Alien Covenant. Ding, ding, ding. Garrett got it right. This is Alien Covenant. Oh, okay. The other two taglines I had are big things have small beginnings and discover the origin of terror. But I could see where Prometheus makes sense too. Yeah. It's because Only because uh, that first tagline, if you look at the, the subtext of the, uh, the B plots of that film, it, it's very obvious that's what they're talking about. Very good. Garrett, Garrett knows his covenants. Yeah. I mean, I respect that, Garrett. You know the B plot. I 
can't even really remember the A plot of that film. I did not like that one. I like some of it. All right, number, uh, moving on to the next one here. A word of warning, dot, dot, dot. Ooh, that's, um, hmm. I'm going to have to say you got to go to the second tagline. I'm not going to get it off that. John, care to wager a guess? Uh, no, I got nothing. All right. Sometimes the scariest things come from within. So I'm just going to randomly say Alien 3. See, I think that could be Prometheus because the, 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 the scariest thing coming with within is like, because in that movie, it's mostly the humans that are trying to uncover the secrets of who they are. Um, and or it could be Resurrection because technically she is part alien in that and she could be within her could be the, the scariest thing. I'm going to say Resurrection or Prometheus. Okay. We're moving on to the next one. Still haven't got it. Damn. It's Alien, comma, the eighth passenger. What? I'm sorry. That's a tagline? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's like if Lord of the Rings was like a journey starring a ring, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go with the OG Alien, the eighth passenger. I'm yielding to John's expertise on this one. Well, John is correct. This was the original film, and I skipped over the one everybody knows on purpose. In space, no one can hear you scream, because that's probably one of the most famous taglines ever. Sure. All right, moving on. Hell gives birth. Ooh. Uh, that's that's resurrection, because they actually give birth to that baby alien. Yep, he seems very sure, so I'm going to agree with him. Okay, got another one. You're right, Garrett. Uh, I skipped over the obvious one that said it's been more than 200 years. The beginning has just started. I think that time frame would have given it away, too. Man, the alien taglines really like to harp on the beginning, the start. <laughs> no matter how deep in the franchise they are, it's just starting. Yeah, the other two for Resurrection were It's Already Too Late and Beyond Salvation. Those are terrible taglines. They're pretty bad. Well, you know what? I understand. It's already too late. You're watching the movie, which is Beyond Salvation. <laughs> <laughs> Turn back now. Save yourself some minutes. Uh. Um, okay, moving to the next one. There are some places in the universe you don't go alone. All right, Alien 3. Prison planet, you don't go there alone. Yeah, I, I will say that would be my guess, too. You're both wrong. Moving on to tagline number two. This time, there's more. Aliens. Yeah, probably aliens. You got it. Uh, the last one was This Time It's War. I think that's too obvious. So that's why I held on to that. You know, I like This Time There's More. That is a very just straight to the point. I think that's also the tagline for the stuffed Oreos. This time there's more. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Aliens double stuffed. That could be the tagline for Gremlins 2. It could be the tagline with anything with a little more of whatever was in the first one. <laughs> Let's go on to the next one here. We came from them. They will come for us. Oh, that's Prometheus. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I don't think there's one that you guys wouldn't have got. Um, in the heavens, they found hell. Search for life, pray for death. The search for our beginning could lead to our end. Yeah, those are very obvious. Uh, are taglines still a thing? Man, how do you break into that business? Well, I was able to find some for Covenant, so they're still making them as of 2017, at least. You get stopped in the hallway, and it's like, hey, Tommy, Tommy, come here for a second. Hey, we got a movie coming out. Real quick, if you were to tell your, your buddy about this, what would you say? He'd be like, I don't know. There's more of them this time. He's like, you nailed it. That's it. <laughs> You're going places, Tommy. You're going big. Get this man in office. <laughs> Maybe it's the same people who write the back of the box. It's like, you know, you got to be multi-talented. You do back of the box, 
and taglines. That would make sense. Double duties, man. They're not going to get paid for just one or the other. You said duty. (laughs) (laughs) All right, last one. This one's really tough. Three times the suspense, three times the danger, three times the terror. Three men and a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. Can't crack this code. Gotta be Aliens 3, of course. Yeah, of course. Yes. Uh, The other ones we have are, in 1979, we discovered in space, no one can hear you scream. In 1992, we will discover on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. That's really bad. What the (laughs) hell is wrong with these people? Yeah, that doesn't even make sense because they, they don't go to Earth. They're talking about the audience, dude. They're talking about you. Oh! They're breaking the fourth wall of the tagline. I'm not smart enough for that dumbass tagline. Send that one back. Tommy didn't do very well this time. Hey, all you creatures from cyberspace. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grave Talk podcast. My name is Mark. Again, joined with Garrett and John. Fellas, how we doing today? You know, doing. Uh, No, I'm doing fine. Yep, all things considered, doing pretty good. Good deal. Well, what we've been up to since last time. Anything you want to bring up, talk about? Any news that has come to light? Maybe surfacing from under the ocean? I guess maybe <laughs> no, uh, the, by, by the time this episode comes out, the first Kong versus Godzilla trailer will be out. Um, the movie has been pushed up to release in sometime in March. And if you look at the tagline, which as we now know, could be utter nonsense gibberish. Um, the tagline for the, the movie poster on this is one will fall. So you know what guys, we might legitimately get a, specified winner in this fight between Kong and Godzilla. So the bet might actually be more legit than we thought. There might really be a winner in this movie. So that movie's coming out in March. The trailer drops. Well, the trailer will have already dropped by the time uh, this episode comes out. So go check that out. We're excited about it. We're definitely going to be doing an episode on it. Mark, Mm -hmm. um, you have start preparing your excuses for why this giant lizard uh, wasn't able to hold his own against a uh, primate. I'm going to have nothing but facts and data to back me up, fellas. So just be prepared. I'll say I saw a theory on Reddit that I immediately was like, yep, this is what this is right because it, you know, agreed with my my opinion is that Kong's going to win and that's how he will become King Kong, King of the Monsters. Ooh. You know what, Reddit person? Sold. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, what you don't know, John, is he's going to be crowned donkey. He ain't going to be no king. <laughs> if that's the best you got, Mark, you better start working on your theories as to why Godzilla will win. All right, I better also start polishing off my material. I didn't get enough laughs on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see how this plays out. You know, this has been built up for quite a while. And to to see this with modern day technology, I think is going to be quite the spectacle. So hopefully we'll get some some pretty crazy, awesome stuff on the screen. We'll definitely be following up on that one doing an episode. Did you guys see that footage of Godzilla versus Kong where he's jumping and leaping with an axe? No, I didn't see that. So you're saying the gorilla was able to use weapons because of his superior um, opposable thumbs and brain power. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know any about that shit. I think he probably just found it and was like, this looks neat. Right, but because he had thumbs, he could use it. 
So once again, point for thumbs. Look, you guys forgot that I've already corrected you and told you that Godzilla has thumbs too. Yeah, but like it's, it doesn't matter. They're useless thumbs on his little T-Rex arms. He's got little Vienna sausage fingers. Let's be honest. They ain't doing shit, man. <laughs> yeah. oh, you take that back. His hands are beautiful. <laughs> he ain't holding an axe with that th- those thumbs. I'm telling you right now. I would love if they pulled back and Kong is holding this giant axe ready to swing it. And then in, t- in his tiny little hands is a little axe and he's just kind of uh, 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 like <laughs> waving it in front of him. I'll be honest, his the blade of his axe, it actually looks like it might have come off of Godzilla. Like it looks like it could be one of his spines or something. It's pretty neat looking. Like his scales, like one of his giant like yeah. back spines. Holy shit. Uh-huh. Oh, if he fashions, if he kills him with his own body, you can shut your fucking mouth, Mark. There will never be an argument over who is the greater monster. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to tone down that expectation of him getting killed. They're not going to kill either <laughs> of them in this movie. <laughs> he's going to kill him with his own body. And then like a true monkey, he's going to take a shit and throw it at Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> now that might happen. Oh, man. But uh, I don't know about the killing part. Also, recently, uh, right before we recorded this episode... Capcom came out and did a big Resident Evil showcase for Resident Evil 8 The Village, which is looking amazing. So if you're into horror games at all, this one's looking pretty creepy. It's uh, got one of my favorite things ever, giant ladies. So we've got a like a nine foot woman in there who looks like a vampire monster. And man, I'm in. It looks pretty good. I was watching some of that uh, trailer that they released exclusively for the PS5 and nowhere else little bummed out about that come on capcom how many people actually have a ps5 right now that's not their fault they they did that and it's it's more of a it's and let me be specific it's it's like a tech demo but they're calling it a visual demo it's much like the resident evil 7 demo that came out there's not a lot of um interaction and action but there's a lot of kind of like like showing what the engine and what the the game's going to look like and it looks pretty awesome and some of the stuff that can happen in it is pretty impressive yeah based on the uh what i saw of someone running through it on youtube visually it's impressive i love the art design of this new mansion that we're going to be wandering around in very gothic very gaudy almost in some aspects but man it's it did invoke some of those old re1 mansion vibes i'm really looking forward to it and um also got a little flavor of re4 i think too maybe you know with some of the characterizations and and over the top people you run into in that one yeah, it's definitely got a, it's got a good feel of both. And I'm really interested to see how they're going to expand the uh, the story of Ethan, because if you um, played Resident Evil 7 and if you haven't, we'll be doing a Twitch live stream of me running through that game uh, before Resident Evil 8 comes out. We'll have more information on the social media when that happens. But that story was it seemed very isolated, like very um, in of itself. But to hear that they're they're expanding this out with that that character, Ethan, again, I'm, I'm really interested to see the lore and um, the concepts behind of how they're continuing his tale. So pretty exciting stuff. If you're into, you know, video games, horror video games, this one's looking like it's going to be pretty, pretty rock solid. Most definitely. I already got mine pre-ordered. I'm ready to go. And I'm also really happy that they kept the first person perspective. I quite enjoyed that from RE7. You know, I'd be a little more upset about it if we hadn't gotten the Resident Evil 2, Resident Evil 3 remakes, which were also, you know, fantastic. I do enjoy a third person game more than I enjoy a first person game. That's just a personal preference. But after playing seven, it really does heighten the intensity of of your environment and stuff like that to be in a first person visual configuration. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's looking pretty cool. That comes out in May. 
All right. Well, John, what do you got? You got anything you want to bring up? Uh, nothing major. I watched a movie called The Wind. I think it was from 2018. Uh, it's like a kind of it's a, it's a horror movie set out in the prairie or I don't know somewhere out west in the eight, turn of the century. It was pretty interesting. Uh, you don't see a lot of western horror movies, and I think this one did a good job. Uh, it's very slow. It's like an A24 film. It's like an artsy horror film, but uh, worth the watch. Oh, so you just straight up bought a random horror Western, huh? Yeah, well, I, it was recommended by a YouTuber I watch, and uh, I normally like the films she recommends. So I was like, all right, I'm going to take a gamble. Uh, and it was worth it. But The Wind is streaming on Showtime if you have that. Otherwise, you can rent it from and or buy it from your usual places. Okay, good deal. Well, I got one I watched called The Dark and the Wicked, and that came out in 2020. Uh, In the next few weeks, it's going to be streaming on Shudder, so I would definitely recommend that one. The Dark and the Wicked is this very slow, creeping haunt of a movie that just brings in a lot of aspects of despair, right? So it's 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 a brother and a sister who come back to the family farm after the father has fallen ill. They can't figure out what's wrong with him, and he's sick, and it seems like it could be supernatural. The mother's acting very strange, and she keeps telling the kids, you should never have come back here. You don't know what's happening. And then just creepy shit starts happening. The mood is very dark. Pretty good movie, especially for a kind of an indie flick from someone who has only done a couple other movies beforehand. Um, so recommend that one. When it comes out on Shutter. check it out. The Dark and the Wicked. I've been seeing that on iTunes, available for rent and stuff like that. And I was like, I wonder if that's any good. Cool. Well, unless there's anything else, let's get into space, put on your exosuits and go out where people can't hear a scream, as the taglines told us in our very standing tradition. We're going to go with the second film of a franchise first. That's just how we do it here. Also, it was a listener request. So we're doing Aliens from 1986. Fellas, what is your personal history with this film? And if you want to bring up the franchise, now's the time. Let's open it up to the Alien franchise. First time on the podcast. Could be one of the biggest uh, properties we've talked about so far. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, the franchise as a whole is one of the biggest we've talked about. Let's see. My history... I don't know. I don't remember the first time I saw Aliens. It feels like I've seen this movie since I was a kid, to be honest. Like, it's just in the blur of my past. It's always existed. But man, I love it. Uh, That's what I'll say. And I know Garrett has some very harsh opinions about it. So I'm going to get in early and say... This is one of my favorite movies, like probably in a top 10 list I would make of just general movies. I think this would be on there. I'm talking about the director's cut, too, because I realized when I was watching the director's cut, I don't think I've watched a theatrical version in a really long time. So I don't even remember what scenes are or aren't in there. So I'm going to stick with the director's cut. I think it's just such a great, great action movie. I'm open to debate on if it's a horror movie that that I can see. Maybe not, but it's a monster movie. So, you know, we've covered those. It's so quotable. I like all the characters. I like the the story. I think it's one of the few sequels that, in my opinion, surpasses the original film. Uh, just barely, but it does. So I'm, I would say I stand for aliens. You stand for aliens. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's quite the take there, John. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. And and I'm kind of in the same boat as John, where I haven't seen the theatrical cut in forever, mainly just because it it seemed to leave out quite a bit. 
especially the buildup with Newt and her family at the beginning where they're going out to the ship to investigate the coordinates. Um, a lot of that wasn't in the original theatrical cut. Yeah, I believe that's the like that. And I think the only other scene I, I remember not be or I hear not being in there is with the automated guns, which to me is like, why would you cut those out? Those things were badass. Uh, but yeah, I think they cut all that out, too. That's terrible. That's like one of the most suspenseful parts, man, is watching them numbers drop. You're like, oh, no, the number's almost zero. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> yeah. Similarly, John, I grew up watching this movie. It's one of the first rated R movies I think I ever saw as a kid. You know, they ran this one on TNT, TBS, what have you, over and over again. So I assume it was censored in some way, but I don't feel this movie is all that gory, to be honest. There's a lot of action and shooting and things of that nature, like you said. The gore level on this one's kind of light, I think. Yeah. Even in comparison to the original. I would think it, like if it, it's obviously it's rated R, but it has to mostly be for language because, I mean, they curse a ton in this movie. But I can't, yeah, I mean, as far as like human deaths, eh, I mean, they're not very gory to your point. We've got the establishment of what the alien life cycle is from the 79 Ridley Scott movie, right? So we know the chest bursting is going to happen. We know the face hugging is going to happen. So I think they just didn't need to focus on maybe the the visceral nature of the exploding out of the chest as much because it was such a pivotal moment in the original. Something I wanted to talk about is just how much this one pivots from the original, the original being a single alien. Now we're on to a horde of aliens where the original is a secluded horror in space. Now we're looking at a movie that is way more military-based in times. It feels almost like a Vietnam film, you know, the whole dropship sequence and so forth. Right. I think it was really smart to try to do something different than the original, and we didn't want to retread the kind of the same beat-for-beat plot point that Ridley Scott brought us in, you know, seven years prior to this. Right. I mean, the tagline lets you know this time there's more right out the gates. Right. <laughs> this is true. They do let you know there's more. But I agree. It is. Uh, it does feel very Vietnam and like of that era uh, for sure. Uh, which if you think it came, well, it came out, you said it came out in 86. I mean, that was like prime Vietnam movie era. Platoon and Rambo and all of that were coming out then. So uh, that makes sense. It's kind of of its era. I would rank this one above the original too, John. Um, I think it's also very close, but I think it also has to do with the fact that this was my entry point into the Aliens franchise. I saw this one before the original. Same. And that's probably to my detriment. I think if you see the big bombastic war movie first and go back to the slower paced Ridley Scott movie, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, I saw this one first too. And I think because as you mentioned, this one just used to be on TV all the time. I don't think they played Alien very often on television, but I think Aliens was like a staple of those quasi-cable channels, like you mentioned, TNT, TBS, all that kind of, USA. Mm-hmm. I, I also saw this one first and do rank it higher. So I think you're onto something there, Mark. What about you, Garrett? Let's hear what you have to say about Aliens. Let me just also put out seven Academy-nominated Oscar-winning film for uh, uh, Stan Winston's amazing creature design, by the way. What do you have to say about this one? Well, you guys have, you guys have said a lot of things here, and uh, I'm still trying to digest it all. Mostly the fact that you both think this film is better than the original Alien. The hell is wrong with you? Okay, so let me start off by saying I enjoy the movie Aliens quite a bit. I 
think it's a a decent enough action film. I love the Aliens franchise. If you're going to do this type of movie in the Aliens universe, I think it's done really well. I think the characters are personable. I think that there's some pretty good interplay. Um, I have come to learn that I'm really not a huge James Cameron fan. And I think this movie encompasses a lot of the things about Cameron that I just don't really care for. Now, I'm not saying he's bad at what he does. He makes blockbuster films that people love around the world and will be timeless. Um, But his sequels, I just don't think were great. Like, I like Terminator 1 more than I like Terminator 2. Terminator 1 is a superior film, in my opinion. Alien is a superior film to Aliens 2, which I know he didn't do Alien, but, you know... Like, the things he puts in his film and his scripts, I just don't get with it. Like, Avatar didn't get with it. Aliens is a is a, a fantastic film. It's timeless. People love it. They quote it. I, I understand exactly why it has a place in everyone's heart. I enjoy it quite a bit. But I will be damned if this is a better movie than the original Alien film, which is a perfectly edited, tight-cut well-paced, the the tension and escalation builds and builds and builds. You know what we get in Hollywood all the time? A bunch of guys going, go, 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 and shooting guns for 45 fucking minutes and basically just, you know, oh no, Tommy's dead. Wait, hold on. No, no, you let me finish, sir. You let me finish, (laughs) all right? We get that now because of Aliens. Yeah, you can't get mad at the granddaddy of the Space Marine movie for doing it first. Mm-hmm. There were Vietnam movies out before Aliens, okay? We got the same thing in other movies. But not Vietnam in space. <laughs> okay, we did not get <laughs> Vietnam in space before this. I will I will 100% give you that. And again, it's it's not bad. It's just this this love and this admiration that Aliens gets when there's so many like just terrible flaws with it that I personally have a problem. Like I'll be honest and we'll, we'll get into this. The character Newt completely fucking worthless to this storyline. Do I think the actress did a bad job? No, she did a great job as a kid actor, but that character did not need to be here. It's such a lazy writing trope that when basically a writer, especially a male writer wants to make a female character have like, inner turmoil, they give them some kind of motherly longing or, oh, my child. I mean, we saw it in Gravity. We see it in so many films. Oh, we're supposed to feel for her. Give her something to do with children, you know? And I understand that it was like this whole plot point. But again, we didn't need that. You've got bigger things to worry about right now. If, if, you're, if you're so worried about this, like, universe-ending species, I understand that she's got her motherly instincts. I have no problem with that concept. But to jeopardize everything for a child that you don't know, sorry, not buying it. This whole like, I lost my daughter out the gate type thing, you know, and then like, I'm going to replace that with Newt. I understand that concept, but to drag it out and make it such a production, it just, I don't know. It's like when they write like, oh, you're supposed to feel bad for a character, a female character. So we're going to have her have to deal with rape. It's such a like, get out of jail free, like basic writing technique that's just so unnecessary. And I really hated the fact that Sigourney Weaver's character of Ripley, who established herself as being such a strong female lead in the first one, taking charge in that ship, then was reduced to like, but I'm a mom. And it's like, oh God, like we we don't need this. Yeah, but dude, there's so much more to her character than just going and saving Newt in the last 15 minutes. She takes charge and owns this entire production. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you can reduce her to just a, a motherly character. Like, 
She's much more than that. I'm not reducing it to that. I'm just saying this was a massive plot of her storyline, and it just seemed completely unnecessary and not needed for this character. Um, she wasn't even, Sigourney Weaver wasn't even signed on to do the movie until she read how much that Cameron had written, like the mother-daughter bond of her character and Newt into the script. Then she signed on according to like the information available, which, okay, cool. I'm glad that, you know, people like that aspect. I'm just saying for me, it's just so, oh, we're doing this. It's, I don't know. I just, I really dislike that. Also, James Cameron has things that he does in every one of his films that just, I, I don't know. I just, it's not, uh, I don't want to sound like I don't like this movie. I once again think you're judging it too, based on movies that came after it. Sci-fi action movies didn't necessarily have this trope and I at the time. And I think that the trope itself is, uh, I mean, it, it grounds Ripley, right? It grounds the whole story into not only is it this abstract existential threat, but it's, you know, an immediate threat to something she cares about, and it adds depth to her character. To Mark's point, it's not like she just goes along with the flow and is just like, newt, 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 right? She takes charge, but also she's feeling a ton of regret and guilt, and she's expressing that through this attachment, this immediate attachment to this child. I think it, it it's a third dimension to the character, that makes the impact of her losing her own daughter, you know, that much heavier. And I, I, I can't argue with that. I, I can see your perspective on that. The thing is, though, is with cinema and as we grow, we grow with our media. Like, it's the same thing with like nostalgia vision that everyone gets it's like, oh, my God, you remember He-Man? I do. It was trash. You know what? As a kid, I fucking loved it. But we grow. We evolve. We, you're right. At the time, maybe we hadn't seen this extensively in movies near as much as we had then. But you know what? We see it a ton now. And so I can't escape the fact that when I go back to watch Aliens, a movie that I, I loved as a child, I can't help but be like, oh, we're doing this nonsense. Okay. I mean, the thing is, is like the world changes around us. We change. It's the same reason we, we like, yo, you can't do that in like horror movies when we get woke about shit, you know, like Cabin Fever when they're like, man, these guys are really fucking rapey. You know, like you you can't help but have like, you as a person that grows and changes and sees these things like not affect your impact. Now, again, that's why I'm not going to say the movie's bad, but for me, for me personally, that aspect of Ripley's character does nothing. Also, I don't like listening to children go, Ripley, ah. I hate hearing children whine in films. I just don't like it. Not a big fan of it. So you know what? This movie has a fair bit of that. Again, personal preference. Now, the Marines... As we know at the time, loved it. But as we also have discussed in this podcast, I'm tired of seeing Marines be our main character. It's They're so one note. They're so basic. Now, fortunately, these Marines had a quite a bit of personality. And we saw some really great scenes, especially when Lance Hendrickson does that knife thing with uh, Bill Paxton's hand. Fucking great. I mean, there's so many great moments in this movie that you'll never forget. And there's a reason aliens exist in the cultural zeitgeist that we live in. But for me... Uh, and, and speaking from a horror podcast perspective, this movie is far inferior to Alien. And I'm going to say something super controversial. I think it's inferior to Alien 3. There, I fucking said it. I'm, I'm on record. I like Alien 3 better than Boo this man. <laughs> Boo him. <laughs> Garrett, you've said a lot of things in a short amount of time. However, 
I think that um, you putting three above this one, I don't know, man. It's Three is fine for what it is, but this one just brought so much to the lore of the aliens. Like, you can't leave out the, mo- the queen and the eggs and all that stuff. Yeah. Built this universe along with the space marines and the company Wayland, now Wayland yutani like there's there's a lot of lore building in here that I think does a much better job in in, the, in at least that respect than Alien Three and maybe even more than Alien. One of the things that pushes this movie over the line for me, I mean, it's not even in competition with Alien Alien Three. Alien Three is playing JV ball, uh, <laughs> but pushes this over the line against Alien is I just like these characters so much better. You know, your Hicks and Hudson and Vasquez I and mean, Bill Paxton. Every scene he's in is a quotable, like just amazing scene. He is definitely not like he starts off as the Oracle type gung ho Marine. And then at the end, right, he's totally chicken shit and demoralized. Oh, I only had four weeks left, man. Like that whole character. I could could just watch his scenes on repeat forever. And I don't I just. No character grabs me like that in Alien, definitely not Alien 3, uh, which all of their characters are pretty much the same. But the thing about Alien versus Aliens is the characters in Alien, like you know them as just, you know, working scrubs. Okay, cool. And then as these events happen, these characters like start to grow based on what's happening. And you start to realize, oh, this person's going to step up or, oh, this person's actually going to like, you know kind of cower down. Oh, this person's going to like be super not. I mean, you get to know them through the events with aliens. The, the first scene where you meet all the Marines, you know, everything you need to know about them. I mean, yeah, with, with Paxton's character, he does kind of go through the evolution of being like a, an overconfident tough guy who eventually backs down, but you could kind of tell from his character that he's just full bravado out the gate, you know, like, Hey, why don't you come over here and sit on this? Marquez, or I can't remember their names. Vasquez, uh, if you can't remember these folks' names, these are the, they have so much chemistry. I am always astonished by how quickly, to your point, that scene where they all come out of hypersleep or whatever they call it in this movie, you instantly can t- feel like, okay, these folks know each other. They have a history with each other. They have, you know, their, uh, their, their interactions seem natural. It's so impressive what they're able to do in such a short period of time. Yes. I, and actually I, I 100% agree with that. And I don't, I'm not criticizing the movie for not having believable characters or not having a, a sense of like knowing who these characters are, but the evolution of these characters we didn't really see much of an evolution of anybody. I mean, really, um, Hudson's character had a bit of an arc where he kind of like kind of has to step up and he kind of ends up taking more of a leadership role. But everyone else, you you know how they're going to be for the film. Like, it's like, here you go. Enjoy. Yeah, they're cannon fodder. Yes. You can't have an arc for 20 Marines. So, I mean, and they get him out of the way pretty early. Yeah, I get it. And it's just but but for me, I like the evolution. I like the journey. I, I don't know. And, and as far as development of story mark you are 100 right this movie put things in play this movie has an impact this movie belongs at the the towards the top of the alien franchise and for most people i will 100 agree with you it belongs in the top two now your personal preference kind of will determine where that is but for me it was so standard hollywood and cameron's movies kind of became that terminator 2 is like that oh you've got a a kind of a young character. You got a kid, you got an adult. You, everyone's like, I don't know. I personally do not find this movie to be as good as some of the other alien films. 
And it just, it's, it's weird to hear you guys say that it's better than one, though. That's the shocking part for me. Personally, if I'm going to sit down and watch an Aliens movie, it's always going to be this one. I almost never just unilaterally put on one. You know, some like if it's on or uh, a couple of years ago before COVID, I think Mark and I got to go see it in a, at a theater. It was the first time I'd seen it on the big screen. That was super cool. Oh, that sounds cool, actually. That'd be dope. Yeah, that was totally worth it. You know, so I'm not saying that I don't like Alien, but as far as just a fun movie to put on, it's always going to be Aliens for me. Yeah, and I think that's what we're getting in here. I think we're getting into to preference, and I really want to make sure that that's, that's stated. I have a lot of problems with this movie due to my preference and what I like to see in film. And honestly, Alien 3 hit that preference a little bit more. A lot of backstory about, like, especially at the end when Hendrickson shows up, or Lance Hendricks shows up and like explains what Waylon Utani is really doing. Also, I love the idea of them being on a weaponless place trying to fight the aliens. That's a great concept. Like the idea of not having guns blazing for fucking three hours is a, I love that so much more than I love like a bunch of Marines and like, get it, shooter game over, man. Come on, let's get at You know, it's like, okay, great. Well, they did that. They did that in part one. They had no guns in part one. Well, yeah, to a degree, they had like they had stuff that they fashioned as weapons. But in like three, they don't have anything except for the environment, which um, you know I really like. They had to use the the smelting factory to kind of kill the alien. Well, if anything, we can all agree the resurrection is trash. Yep, that, that movie's Blade Two in space, except it's not good. <laughs> Uh, just a couple things, Garrett, that you were talking about. I really, really need to know, did six or seven-year-old Garrett really have that big of a problem with Newt? I don't think that developed when you were a kid. Am I right, at least there? Uh, I, would, I wouldn't say I had a problem with it. I never liked that character, even as a kid, though. But I was also one of those kids that never really identified with kids in movies. I always wanted to be the adult. Like in Jurassic Park, I never was like, oh, it'd be cool to be one of those kids. I'd be like, it would be cool to be Dr. Alan Grant. Like, I've never had that connection to kid characters in movies, really, with the exception of maybe the Goonies. But other than that, like, I wouldn't say I had a problem with her. I just never really cared for that character at all. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think Nude is nearly as useless in this movie as you claim her to be, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. So just to kind of get some of the stuff out of the way with the film, obviously, 1979's Alien was a huge hit in impact on the movie cinematic world. So this one actually lay dormant for about six or seven years until the sequel came about. They never asked Ridley Scott to direct the second one, and I think he holds some slight animosity towards that, but he's not known for doing sequels to his work anyway. The studio heads may have seen Alien as a fluke um, and might have been a little trepidatious to uh, jump back into the sequel pool. James Cameron actually wrote a treatment, a 40-page treatment of Aliens back in, like, I want to say 1983 that the studio decided they didn't want to do. Up until this point, the only film that Cameron had really directed was Piranha 2, and that's where he met Lance Hendrickson, I believe, and he would go on to pull him into his uh, Terminator movie, and then we see him again in Aliens. So Cameron, in the middle of prepping Aliens... Uh, left to go do Terminator. And this is one of the first times they ever actually halted production and waited for Cameron to come back um, to do Aliens. So they actually stopped production on Aliens and waited for him to finish Terminator and then come back and do Aliens. Yeah, you're right. And he also didn't expect Terminator to be very good or do as successful as it did. And that's when he really fleshed out the story of Aliens. And he used his time with Terminator to really plan out some some things he was going to do in the Aliens 2 sequel. 
another reason the movie got delayed for so long is that contractually they had the studio had to wait for Arnold Schwarzenegger to finish Conan the Destroyer so he could go do Terminator and then ultimately Cameron could go do Aliens too or Aliens. Oh, I didn't know that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, so it was kind of a it, like you said it was is amazing that a studio would actually wait for a director to come and do his version of the film. So that's pretty impressive. And it's a different enough version where I could see them being like, this has got everything. You know, Vietnam movies are popular. This characters are popular. You know, like I could see exactly their mindset on it. To be fair, Cameron knows what he's doing. I mean, look at fucking Avatar, for example. Jesus Christ. I can't even get to a second viewing of that film without having to turn it off. But people fucking love his movies. They, they go in droves. Avatar is so tricky because it's was so popular, but also, like, is there an Avatar fandom? Like, does anybody... Like, I know Cameron ha- is a fan. He's making two more. But for a movie that for years was the highest grossing movie of all time, I feel like it was immediately forgotten about, like, the next day. John, you need to double that. He's making four more. Oh, yes. brother. <laughs> He's making four more. And also, do you not remember when they were doing news stories about people who were having to go to therapy because Avatar made them so depressed that this world was so um, ruined and they wanted to live on Pandora because it was so, you know, like (laughs) it was unaffected by man and yada, yada. And there were people having to go to therapy over this. Whoa. No shit. There was like news like broadcasts about this stuff. It was crazy town. Yeah. Look, Garrett, you're not wrong. I don't think Cameron's bringing his A game anymore, but I will stand by Terminator Aliens and Abyss. I think all three of those films are really good. And I kind of see James Cameron like I see uh, Steven Spielberg. I think his time has come and gone, and I just don't think they're bringing what they were back in their heyday. I'd agree with that. And to your list, Mark, I'm going to maybe, embarrassingly, I'm going to say Titanic. That was a perfectly fine blockbuster movie. Uh, You know, yeah, I'm not going to hate on it. I actually like Titanic a lot. What about True Lies? Oh. People like True Lies. That one's pretty good. That was a banger. Yeah. No, <laughs> True Lies was not a banger. Yeah, that was a good one. That was with Arnold, right? And Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and Tom Arnold. Oh. Yeah, you know, I think what happens is they get too big. It's like a George Lucas situation and no one tells them no, right? And it's like, I think creativity, especially in a film industry, is a collaborative endeavor. But when people are afraid, like, are you going to tell James Cameron that this is bad? No, no, I guess not. Right. So then we end up with this shit. I think that's a really interesting tightrope to walk in Hollywood also, because, you know, we, we think of directors as the vision, you know, like their, their artistic vision. And I think there's a lot of expectation of like, you don't critique that you don't change that. And that's why like directors with such great editors and stuff like that are, are so amazing and so effective because they can help them with you know, shape that vision, as you say, in a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. But I do think you're, you're right. I do think some people get so big that it's like, you don't question so-and-so. And it's like, yeah, no, you should question so-and-so. Like, sycophants don't belong in the fucking film industry. Like, everyone needs to, I mean, now you also get movies by committee, which are also terrible. But again, it's a tightrope. It's a tightrope. It makes me think of, there's like a famous video, right, where everyone had just finished watching The Phantom Menace for the first time, and they were all awkwardly unable to tell George Lucas it was bad. They just sort of danced around the point. Uh, It was like a behind-the-scene feature of The Phantom Menace, and Lucas was all like, yeah, 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 this is great, and everyone's like, you know, it was a movie. Is that real? Is that a real thing? 
yeah, I'll send it to you. It's so awkward. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the reasons that people like James Cameron and Spielberg just kind of, you know, people get out of their way and let them do whatever they want. It's just because they bring in the money, right? Aliens was shot on an $18 million budget and turned around and made 131 million bucks. Holy shit, that is massive. Wow. And, you know, we, we don't ever bring in the kind of money that retail and VHS, you know, brings into these numbers too. But with that and the success of Terminator, that just paved the way for this man to just do whatever he wants. And now we're sitting at waiting for Avatar 5, which is slated to come out in 2028. I'm like, dude, you haven't made an Avatar in over 10 years. Who fucking cares, James Cameron? Go scuba dive and enjoy your retirement. Like, you don't need to go back to the giant blue cat people world. But don't we, Mark? But don't we? Some people do. Apparently, there's four more stories to tell there. The one thing also that I've noticed, and this definitely happens over time, is Cameron movies seem to have a formula. They all seem to kind of play through the same formula. Like it just, it becomes very, um, almost too familiar, almost like, you know, like, okay. And I think that kind of like, as I've grown plays into why I don't enjoy aliens as much anymore is because I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. I've seen this song. And so to go back and have to like live through it again, sometimes is difficult for me. Well, I think if I'm ever going to watch a space Marine movie, I would want to watch the the best possible space Marine movie um, you know, I think if I was going to go watch Doom, I might have the same kind of feelings Garrett's experiencing with the uh, the Space Marines. But yeah, but that's like comparing like dog food to a steak, man. That's like if I was going to watch a Space Marine movie, I wouldn't pick shitty Doom. I'd pick Aliens. Like, yeah, so would I. I would hope so. <laughs> None of y'all have actually touched on the best Space Marine movie. Would you like to know more? Tell me more. Oh, you're going to talk about Starship Troopers. You think that one's better than this? No, of course not. But it's such a great movie. Uh, It's probably the second best Space Marine movie. I agree. All right. Well, let's get into this one a little bit further. Uh, Obviously, as we've been talking about him for 30 minutes now, directed by James Cameron. This one stars Sigourney Weaver as Ripley, Carrie Hinn as Newt, Michael Bain as Corporal Hicks, Paul Reiser as Burke, Lance Henriksen as Bishop Bill Paxson as Private Hudson, William Hope as Lieutenant Gorman, Jeanette Goldstein as Private Vasquez, Al Matthews as Sergeant Apone. He's probably my favorite Marine. Mark Rolston as Private Drake, Rico Ross as Private Frost, Colette Hiller as Corporal Farrow, Daniel Cash as Private Spunkmeyer, and Cynthia Dale Scott as Corporal Dietrich. I'm sad that Private Frost isn't in this movie long because he has my favorite line in the whole film where they have to give up all their ammo and he goes, great, what are we supposed to use, harsh language? (laughs) Uh, I laugh every time. That is a fantastic line. I love that line so much. Yeah, you're right. I I forget that guy's in the movie, John, until he says that line. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about you. (laughs) Same. On Rotten Tomatoes, this one's sitting at 97% with the critics and 94% with the audience. Uh, That's out of 76 critic reviews and 429,767 audience reviews. Wow, that's a pretty tight audience and critic uh, alignment there. You don't see that that often. Yeah, that's true. Here's what the back of the VHS box has to say about Aliens. Sigourney Weaver returns as Ripley, 
the only survivor from mankind's first encounter with the alien. Her account of the alien and the fate of her crew is revealed with skepticism until transmissions from space colonists who have since settled on the alien's planet abruptly stop. Determined to end the recurring nightmares of her terrifying ordeal and to completely exterminate the deadly creature, Ripley joins a team of high-tech combat vets sent to investigate the disappearance of the space colonists. The end. (laughs) Yeah, that's not bad. That does a pretty good job of explaining what you're about to get into. Um, Also, this movie coined the phrase Xenomorph. I'd forgotten that. I'd uh, forgotten that that wasn't in the original. Yeah, I didn't know that. Where do you guys want to start? I feel like we already tackled so much. (laughs) Well, it starts with her getting found. Yes, it starts with getting found. And then they kind of like make it seem like she's been taken back to Earth and everything's okay. But no, she's not. She's still on the ship. So she gets found. She gets taken to some star base, I assume. It's definitely not Earth. It's some sort of space complex. Um, and she's in a hospital and yeah, cuts to a dream of her being, of, of Burke coming in and being like, Hey, I'm Burke. Hey, I'm Burke. Classic cinema line. <laughs> yeah. yeah and, and I'm Burke, the company man. <laughs> I work for the company. <laughs> uh, you know, as exactly as written and performed. And he's like, look, you're probably nauseous. That's normal for how long you've been in hypersleep. And she's like, how long? And he's like, what? Nobody's told you? Uh, I'm going to keep dancing around it for like five minutes before he's like, it's been 57 years. And then we get a chestburster scene, essentially. We're like, oh, shit, they killed Ripley right out the gate. But uh, it was all a dream. And she wakes up again. She's in that hospital room, but no chestburster. And a a little video nurse is like, nightmares again? So, you know, implying she has this uh, reoccurring nightmare that she has been infested with the xenomorph. Next up, she has to go in front of the board for her uh, license, her ICC license to be a pilot. And she's like, look, my ship was infested by aliens and I had to blow it up to survive. She's being held accountable for what happened to the ship because they're like, do you know how much money that cost us? And she, like, basically, it's a it's a review board of like, do you know what you've done? Do you know how much money you've cost us? We're going to review what you do and why you're here and whether we should fire you type thing. Right. But you got to say, after 57 years, you think the statute of limitations would have expand, like been gone. But no, they hold her accountable. She's like, I'm telling you, there are aliens, uh, 100% aliens and i had to do it and they're like lady thank you officer ripley that will be all please you're not listening to me kane the crew member kane who went into that ship said he saw thousands of eggs there thousands thank you that will be all god damn it that's not all because if one of those things gets down here then that will be all then all this this bullshit that you think is so important you can just kiss all that goodbye and they're like, lady, that's bullshit because people have been living on this colony for 20 years. And she's like, how many colonists? And he's like, I don't know, a couple hundred. And like from our perspective, because we know uh, uh, Ripley's telling the truth, we're like, look at these dudes. They don't know what's up. But from their perspective, I totally understand why they don't believe her. Hundreds of people have been living on this planet for 20 years and no problems. I think the board gets a bad rap. That's my hot take. <laughs> the board gets a bad rap. I think that is a pretty hot take, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at the company man, John, here to <laughs> sweep up all the problems and go to bat for the bad guys. That's it. <laughs> I'm just saying, Burke was the best character, you guys. <laughs> he was on to something, you know? We know where John's allegiance lies, and it's with the greenbacks. I'd buy that for a dollar. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, if, if there's going to be a nitpick, I think it's going to be right around this area for me. And I'm just trying to be as non-biased as I possibly can, which is really hard. But to think that the place where Alien takes place, right? Ridley Scott's Alien in 1979 was kind of this planet that was unknown as far as I can remember. There's a giant disc-shaped ship with alien eggs in there. Are you really going to tell me that nobody would have driven, you know, five blocks outside of the colony and found those eggs in 57 years? Or I'm sorry, 20 years, if you will? Yeah. That's a bit of a stretch that you got to just let go to get into this one. Also, who turned off the transponder? Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. The whole reason Alien happens is because a, a, a transponder attracts their ship. They never mentioned turning it off. They go, they don't have time, honestly. They go, they get infested, and they run back to the ship. So they should be, that ship should still be beeping. I got some information for you, John. Okay. I did a little bit of digging because this problem did bug me a little bit. And there's a 1987 issue of a fan magazine called Starlog. And it's a science fiction magazine. Mm-hmm. Fuck me. Are you kidding me? We're going to Starlog for this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're taking it to the books. Okay. That's right. All right. I'm in. Let's go. When this movie came out, people were writing into Starlog to complain about some of the things we're talking about right now. James Cameron penned an essay response to these folks, <laughs> and it was published in the December issue of Starlog 1987. He actually says that the reason that a lot of people were confused is they didn't get his original version of the movie. They got the theatrical cut. Well, apparently in the version that we've been watching, the ship that has all the alien eggs in it, there was some sort of volcanic activity from alien to aliens, and there's a rupture in the ship. So Newt's parents go in through a different way than the crew of the 1979 film. And he says that that transponder was uh, deactivated during that rupture volcanic activity in that 57-year time frame. Got it. So wizards did it. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. That's I, I love the fact that he's like, no, actually, and he like responded with all that out. I mean, I love that commitment to his script, and I love the fact that he actually did try to canonize what really happened with that. But fuck me, dude, you overlooked it. I mean, that's exactly what happened. Imagine how much mail James Cameron must have gotten to be like, fuck, I need to stop working on Terminator and write to Starlog real quick. Because this, uh, or what, actually, I guess he was probably doing Terminator 2 after. Or no, I guess it would have been Abyss after Aliens. He's like, I got to stop working on Abyss to go write to fucking Starlog so people will leave me alone. This is the scandal that's going to sink my career. <laughs> it's fun to see, like, fandom was still alive and, and thriving back in the, the magazine era before the internet. You know, people were still, oh, you ruined my movie, James Cameron. They were nits to pick, and our predecessors were picking them. That's right. <laughs> but regardless of whether the transponder is still going, we don't build a mall nowadays without doing like a year-plus-long geographical survey of the area. I, <laughs> dude, they're not going to build colonies on this place without doing a quick scan and be like, oh, that looks like a ship. Fair. We should probably see what that thing is. Yeah, you're right. Within drivable distance of our colony. Yeah, it looks like... You know, like technology they're not going to be like well that looks like technology that looks like technology let's just set up over here you know it's like no they're going to be like what the fuck is this someone would have found those eggs before they decide to colonize this planet but anyway yeah the happenstance that you have to accept that they would colonize the planet that had the alien eggs on it to begin with is a bit of a stretch 
but we could spend all day talking about why this would never happen in the real world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So what happens next depends on what version you see, but in the director's cut, it cuts to the colony and we see two, I guess, middle managers or whatever talking about how they got a directive. They got to go out. uh, They want to know if they're going to get salvage claims. And they're like, why wouldn't we? Because he found some weird shit. They're like, look, I get orders. I give orders. I don't ask questions because they tell me, don't ask. And I actually really liked that scene. It was just a little bit of like a slice of life scene on the colony, which I'm surprised they cut out uh, of the theatrical version. And then next, we see Newt's parents and Newt's brother, and they're all driving to the alien ship. Uh, The parents are like, all right, we're going to go scope this creepy thing out. You two stay here. It was definitely wise to bring our children to this. I was about to say, why would you bring your child to an un... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Hey, it was bring your daughter to work day here at the fucking Whalen yutani <laughs> colony. So, you know, <laughs> but you're right. And, and, and one thing to consider is that life had gone on LV426 relatively uneventful in this corporate colony until Ripley said, hey, there's some nasty eggs over there. Here are the coordinates. And then Newt's parents got sent out to that site and get murdered. Mm. So we could say it's partially Ripley's fault. If they hadn't found her, who knows how long this could have gone on and those eggs would have stayed dormant. Good point. Way to go, Rips. The board, to, to John's point, the board did say, we don't believe you. Why would they tell the colonizers to go look for the eggs then? I think they were just trying to corroborate that story, you know? No, Burke believes her. Oh. The board doesn't know that they sent them we find this out later i don't know in what cut but we find out later the person who sent newt's family was burke he signed the orders to go check this out and his point and he didn't tell anybody right because his point was look we find this we're gonna be millionaires we can have millions of uh wayland credits or whatever money they use in in the aliens future we're gonna both be set he's telling ripley if this was you know, true, I mean, my overall plot hole for the aliens universe is this company is so convinced they can control these aliens when they are 0 for 6 or however many aliens <laughs> movies they are. Uh, they are not doing great at controlling these things. It's like an Uva Bowl film. <laughs> no matter how many times it flops, they just think they got the next one. <laughs> exactly. This time, this time we got them. Yeah, I don't know. It's that corporate drive for more money. We always need more money. You know, we're not going to be satisfied till we have all the money in the galaxy, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Because they're already a super rich place that can put up a multi-billion dollar terraforming project on a fucking moon. True. Super far from Earth. This is why it's science fiction, Mark, because no one in real life basically strives just to get more money to an exorbitant amount that they just could never possibly spend just to get more money. <laughs> <laughs> regardless of the impact it has on everyone else. That's just crazy talk, sir. Who would be that sociopathic? Uh-huh. You're right. In 200 years, we're going to be colonizing with Apple Google Company. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the App Google Corporation. So then the next scene, the parents come back. It's the mom and the dad has the face hugger on him. And she's like, mayday, mayday, medical emergency. We got some weird shit going on. Uh, Newt screams, which I'm sure Garrett loved. Uh, and that screen fades out. And then we fade back into sort of Ripley's new life. 
living in a shitty apartment with the cat, whose name I can't remember, but the cat survived from Alien. Jonesy. Jonesy, yes. And she's like in charge of loading and unloading ships, essentially. That's what she does now. She got a job at the harbor, (laughs) down at the pier doing harbor work. That's it. She's a teamster now. (laughs) Burke and uh, the lieutenant. Gorman, yeah, Gorman. And they're like, look, we lost contact with the colony somehow. Don't know why that would happen. Could be nothing, but just in case, we want to go check it out with Marines. These are super badass. They're going to totally go in there, kick ass. It's going to be fine. And Ripley says the most logical thing in this whole movie. All right, what do you need me for? No, she goes, I don't do nothing unless my foreman says it's okay. (laughs) I'm currently on smoke break. Come back in 20 minutes when the union says you can speak to me. That's it. It's not in my job description. Yeah, but she's like, look, if these Marines are so gangster... You don't need me. I'm just a person. Like, I'm just a, a, a teamster. She's just she's just a girl. Yeah. I am not cueing that song for you, Garrett, I, just so I you know. I don't want you to. Although I do, as a side note, I want you when, um, uh, earlier when uh, John goes, it was all a dream. I want you to play Biggie's. It was all a dream. It's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. Used to read Word Up magazine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then she has a nightmare, and she's like, you know, the nightmare spurs her into action, I guess. And she calls Burke in the middle of the night, uh, and is like, you know what, I'm in. We're, well, first she's like, we're going to kill them, right? If they're aliens, we're gonna kill them. And schemy little bastard Burke is like, uh, duh. What else are we gonna do with these guys? Uh, and she's like, all right, I'm in. Then I assume he hangs up and cackles like an evil villain. He calls Helen Hunt and says, I'm mad about you. (laughs) And Burke is played by Paul Reiser, which um, I really love because every time I see Paul Reiser, I only think of him as the uh, buddy cop in Beverly Hills Cop. (laughs) He's all, this is not my locker. I'm always just like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I do want to mention here is that I think the movie does a really good job of making Sigourney Weaver feel like she's out of time and place, right? 57 years later, she doesn't have any friends left. She's informed that her daughter passed away four years prior at the age of 66. Mm -hmm. She's just as isolated alone as the Nostromo in movie one. So really, I think that could have led to her decision to go deal with these demons. I mean, she's not got friends to talk to about it, Hmm. you know? See, I saw it more as an obligation of like, if I do nothing, this is going to spread and I'm going to be, if I have a chance to do something, you know, see something, say something. I have a chance to actually like put a stop to this. I feel like she has this like nagging responsibility that if she doesn't, then. But I th- I I do think you're you are beyond accurate, Mark. This movie does a fantastic job of making her feel completely isolated and alone, which is so great because that just kind of plays into her character. And you know what? To give cre- credit to the the part of the script that I don't like, it does also kind of play into why she would form a connection with Newt because she does have nothing. You know, she does have that like lack of anything in her life and to be able to fill that with something is great i mean i just say eat eat cake instead but don't you know junk food instead of a kid but whatever but to add to that idea garrett you if you consider that you know nude is also alone and ripley is also alone among all these marines you know she's the outsider in the outfit so it would make sense that they the two would gravitate towards each other to give each other comfort in this horrible situation yeah no i mean again it It makes sense. It's just not my favorite thing. 
Fair enough. All right, John, where were we? So Ripley agrees, and then we cut to essentially them waking up on their way to the alien planet LV-123. 426. 426. Remember, April 26th is Alien Day, for anybody who doesn't know. Oh, I didn't know. That makes a lot of sense, but I did not know that. Uh, All right, LV-426. And this is where we start meeting the Marines, and the movie just becomes... So fun and quotable. So they all wake up. The sergeant's, you know, screaming at everybody. He's like, Hicks, do you want me to get you some slippers? And uh, Hicks is like, yeah, if you don't mind. And he's like, look into my eye. And he, he's flicking them off, right? You just immediately <laughs> start to, these guys have history together. Vasquez starts doing pull-ups and Hudson is like. Hey, Vasquez, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No. Have you? <laughs> oh, Vasquez. It is too bad. Zing! I mean, just all of these amazing quotable lines. The the friendship and the bond this group has. Yeah, and then there's to Mark's point. Actually, I never really picked up on this, but now that you mention it, I see it everywhere. Right? There's Ripley going through this whole experience alone. They're like, "Hey, who's Snow White?" And they're just like, "I don't know. She's some advisor, um, but she's basically isolated amongst this group of friends as well." Um, so that's a really good point, Mark. Yeah, and also new to the team or the outfit or whatever you call a gaggle of Marines. I'm sure there's an actual term for it, but I like gaggle of Marines. I think they're a squad. Okay, for the squad. uh, We've got a new guy, which is Lieutenant Gorman. Definitely get the impression that the guy is not really mixed in with his team all that well yet. He seems like the guy who probably got into boot camp off of his daddy's success and went through all the book learning, but hasn't quite been out on the field as long as our our Marine squad here. True story. They use Lieutenant Gorman as an example in uh, like military academies of how to not be a, a military leader. Seriously? Yeah. He is the antithesis of what you're supposed to do uh, to ingratiate yourself and to lead you know, a unit. I think that's interesting. I don't know if James Cameron did that on purpose or what, <laughs> but there it is. And you see that right away because the next scene after they all get together is they're in the mess hall. They're all eating and they're all eating together. And the lieutenant is eating on his own. And I think it's Frost calls it out. He's like, oh, it looks like the lieutenant's too good to eat with us grunts. Um, so there's immediately a separation there. And then comes, I think, one of Mark's favorite scenes where we meet Bishop and they're like, do the knife thing, do the knife thing. And he's like, all right. And he grabs Hicks's hand, puts his hand on top of it, and does an amazing knife trick uh, of sort of putting the knife in between each finger at super speed, essentially. This was the first time I ever saw this done, and, and Lance Henriksen practiced quite a while to get that down. Said he cut himself several times in the in in, in learning to do that. Did they know that he's um, a mandroid? Yes. They're like, oh yeah, it's totally normal. We bring a what do they call him a synthesoid or something like that, a synthetic. We bring a synthetic on all of our trips, and he's like, I prefer the term artificial person. Uh, but when Ripley sees this she rightfully freaks out she's like nobody told me this is unacceptable uh i'm gonna carry a grudge she's kind of are androids a race she's robotist she hates all robots based on the actions of one 
Yes, but let's understand the actions of one basically almost got her killed, killed her entire thing and almost unleashed this horrific monster into the universe. So I understand her taking a little while to get over it, even if it was 60 plus years. <laughs> but I that's why I even appreciate and love the the could the, the connection they build in this movie between the two of them, Hendrickson and um, Sigourney Weaver, which is why at the end of three, when they bring him back, when they bring Hendrickson back to talk to her because they're like, this is the only person that she would trust like that. Oh man, that end of three is just so much more impactful because of what was developed in this. Yeah. The alien franchise itself has a deep history of dealing with synthetic and artificial life and in our interaction with it, you know, Ash in 1979 is completely in control of, uh, or the company's agenda, Wayland's agenda and he kind of goes crazy in that one and ends up killing a lot of the crew. I think it was very smart then in the sequel to let's reverse that feeling. And we can see Sigourney Weaver really playing against Lance Hendrickson's Bishop in, you know, she doesn't trust him because of that. And then in, like you said, in part three, we're still dealing with AI and even down to Prometheus. And man, I'm not going to get into too much spoilers, but the interwovenness of the alien franchise and the AI is Man, when the, when the, when you get that revelation in those later films, it is just mind blowing. Yeah, I would agree. My mind was blown at how bad those movies were. Fuck you, Prometheus was a great fucking film, and Alien Covenant could have been a great film if the studio hadn't fucking dipped their stupid goddamn face into it. Anyway, let's let's get on with Aliens. Prometheus was all right, <sighs> but all right. So the next scene is uh, the briefing. So the lieutenant comes in. And he's like, look, we're going to go rescue some uh, colonists. We don't know what's up. We brought this expert here. She wrote down her report about what happened. I suggest you read it. And they're just not having it. They're giving him such a hard time. Like Hicks asks a question and he's like, what is it, Hudson? He goes, I'm Hicks, sir. He goes, what do you want? He goes, how do you get out? How do I get out of this chicken shit outfits? <laughs> You're not going to miss an opportunity to say every one of Hicks's lines, are you? No, I sure aren't. Because uh, I love him so much. Uh, sure aren't. <laughs> game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? So the briefing goes on. Uh, I mean, there's many more lines I could quote, uh, but. To save Garrett, I won't. I don't mind his lines. I just thought it was funny that like you're like, general plot, general plot. And then Hicks says, and it's like verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> these are the these are what sticks out to me. I, I could remember uh, someone said alien and she thought they said illegal alien. Uh, like every, <laughs> every one of his lines. All right, John, you have the floor. Let us know when you're done. We'll come back and finish this. Yeah, <laughs> I could. I, I know his whole script by heart is what I'm saying. So they arrive at the planet and they do the drop ship, uh, which I think is awesome. I love the look of that drop ship. It is like all of the technology in this movie, I think, is uh, designed so creatively. Yeah, you're right. You know, we've got the Nostromo from part one is very factory looking, right? It definitely looks like a, a processing plant floating through space. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Sulaco is more phallic and more gun shaped in its appearance. And I think that obviously on purpose, let you know what kind of movie this is going to be. This ain't no factory film. We're going to shoot some bugs here in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, every, I, everything in this movie is definitely a really cool design. I didn't care for the APC, mm -hmm. the little like tank vehicle they're in, because it just looked like just staple some styrofoam to the side, painting gray. We're, we're good boys. But everything else was just just dope as hell looking. And actually, the um, 
I don't remember what it was, but they actually used one of the uh, sets from this movie as the Ajax chemical set in uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Oh, oh, that's cool. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. I actually enjoyed the look of the APC, Garrett. I liked how sleek and just tank-like it looked, which was actually a retrofitted vehicle from an airport. Oh, wow. They found one that actually pulls planes along and just kind of more or less kind of what you said as they slapped on some other things on the outside and make it look more military. Right on. But yeah, the design work in this movie, uh, just from top to bottom, is fantastic. Even the new creatures by Stan Winston were great. There was never a point that I really thought the effects were bad. I think everything is just top-notch here. And it holds up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the original design from 1979 done by H.R. Geiger, clearly they built on top of that and, and created new creatures, you know, the Stan Winston company. Interestingly enough, when this movie won its Oscar for Best Special Effects that year in 1987, it was up against Little Shop of Horrors and it was up against Poltergeist 2. And what's interesting about that is H.R. Geiger was doing work on Poltergeist 2. So he lost to the sequel to the movie he originally designed. I wonder what H.R. Geiger thought when he lost that Oscar. (laughs) That had to sting a little. All the true Arturs do not like this film. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. So they're in the dropship. They land and then they break, you know, they break into the colony and then we start to investigate what happens. So the whole place is destroyed. They see gunshots and explosive debris. The metal is melted in places, confirming Ripley's acid blood, for example, that she was saying, which they were mocking her about. So they secure the area. Ripley and the lieutenant come in and they get to a lab and it's just filled with all these face huggers. And do we need to, do you think we need to take a moment and explain the face hugger and the xenomorph to our listeners? Or do you think by now this should just be so built into pop culture that everybody knows exactly what the alien looks like? The latter. I would concur. They know. Everyone knows what a face hugger and a xenomorph is. Even if you don't know what a xenomorph is, you know what the alien from Aliens is. Yeah. (laughs) If you've made it this far in your life and have somehow avoided that, but found our podcast... Tell us how. <laughs> you just can't escape it. It's like those people who have never seen Star Wars and they're just like, what's Darth Vader? It's like bullshit. You know what Darth <laughs> Vader is. Even if you've never seen Star Wars, you know what a goddamn lightsaber is. Good point. Have you ever been inside a Target? Like, have you been outside of your house? You've seen this stuff. And so then you know, there's just more conversation about the aliens. Eventually... Apparently, all the colonists have like a transponder built into them or built into them like they're robots uh, embedded in them. And they use that to find them all. And they're all in the same place. They're all in the reactor core. They're like, all right, let's go check it out. So they drive to the reactor core. And this is where shit starts getting serious. They go in there and they see, I mean, there's just alien growth essentially all over the walls. It's just like this black gooey stuff that is built on, built on top of the wall. And I don't know about y'all, but I got to imagine it stinks. It doesn't look like it smells good. Oh no, it's got to smell gross because they said it was a a self-secreted resin all over the walls. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know where... What hole in the xenomorph does that come out of, I wonder? (laughs) Maybe it's their sweat, a sweat resin. So it smells like a locker room. Gross. (laughs) Super gross. So they're going in, they're looking around, 
And Ripley asks Lieutenant, he's like, hey, what do those guns fire? And he's all proud of whatever bullet they are. But essentially, they're armor piercing. And she's like, well, if they shoot him and they pierce the reactor, don't we all die because it blows up? And he's like, fuck. So, and this is a great example of where he's really shitty at his job. Without telling him why, he's like, Sergeant, I need you to get everybody's ammo. You can't shoot in there. Flamethrowers only. Why wouldn't you tell them? Right. Just be like, look, if you you are inside of a bomb right now, like let them know. But he doesn't because he's bad at his job. He's pretty stupid. You, you, The guys that need to know this information is everybody. <laughs> You're bad at your job. Anybody on this <laughs> alien planet should be aware of everything at all times. This is not the time to withhold information. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, I can't even like imagine the thought process of why he wouldn't share it. Like, oh, maybe he doesn't want to scare them. But no, like that doesn't make any sense. There's no logical reason except that he doesn't. He's I think as soon as he landed and the colonists turned out to be dead and the aliens were real. He was immediately over his head. He was not expecting that. Yeah. And he could not come up for water at all. No. Agreed. And you know, he makes the, when when everybody's on the Sulaco and they're all lined up about to embark on this mission, he even tells them, he's like, well, you know, Ripley's report is also on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever it is, and <laughs> you should also check it out. And then like, he obviously didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Like Ripley gave him enough information. If they would have just smartened up and listened to her. And understood, okay, if we shoot them, the acid blood's going to get on us. It's going to be bad. You know, there, there's so many opportunities for them to prepare, but they were overconfident and ultimately results in this this failure of a, of a mission on the Marines' part. So what you're saying is a technologically superior force was defeated due to overconfidence uh, by maybe a guerrilla force. That is correct. Cue the Star Wars logo. <laughs> <laughs> Or this is all just a parable for Vietnam. Mm, yeah, that's also true. And th- this decision is honestly what gets everybody killed. Because if he, if they had, they were moving in, uh, like once they realized shit was real, a lot of the swagger stopped and they started being professional, right? They were going in by twos. They were clearing corners. They were doing the best that they could. Um, and then Gorman comes and fucks it all up. So event they give some of the ammo they keep some ammo they have flamethrowers they're allowed to use well when you say when you say they keep some of the ammo they they secretly they hide yeah giving back some some of the ammo so they think that they don't have any live rounds but one of the guys is like i'm not giving this fucker all my ammo and so he keeps some secretly fair point i'm thinking the point of the of this scene is they had to find a way to get all this equipment away from the marines because they Give all the ammo to one person, and that person's immediately killed. <laughs> By friendly fire, no less. Yeah, sucks so much for him. This scene is actually great. This is one of my, <clears throat> you know, I don't really go for like big military action sequences too often, but in this, the the tight quarters they were in when uh, everything starts attacking them, and they all kind of like are just kind of like at a loss of what to do and they're doing all their training and it's just not enough because they've been kind of crippled by not having ammo and things. This, this was such a beautiful scene, the angles and everything like that. It really made me feel super claustrophobic of like, where is everything coming from? Which uh, I really have to give a shout out to the cinematographer and the director on that one, because it really made me feel like, anywhere like if i if i'm not looking that direction that's where it could be coming from you know all the all the xenomorphs and all the alien creatures these are all practical effects so there isn't any cg involved these are people in costumes that got to sneak around corners so i think they did a smart job of just 
creatively only showing you just enough of the xenomorphs as they they appear and kind of unravel from the uh, the resin on the walls. You know, they're 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 so well blended in and, and all shot in the in this great lighting that you never really get a sense that it's just a person in a costume. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of making that terror of the unknown still still there, even though there's hundreds of them this time versus the one from Alien 1979. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty impressively done. It's like we alluded to, the aliens start coming out of the wall and picking off the Marines one by one, and shit goes crazy. As the aliens are kind of starting to unravel, um, our our squad is actually using a a motion sensor that shows nothing at all, and that motion sensor is such a good instrument of tension. Watching this thing come alive with all the beeps and bloops, man, that really kind of you know, ratchets up the the terror, I think. And I think it's moments like that that get me to say that this movie is a horror film in certain regards. Yes, there's a lot of action. Yes, there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, military-esque scenes of of that nature. But I think it is still very horrific. And and this is one of the first times that I experienced that on basic cable. But anyway, the... um, the aliens start to unravel and they, they're encompassing our group of Marines. They're notified via the motion sensor that the that they're getting surrounded. And all of a sudden, one of the Marines carrying the ammo is captured and her flamethrower goes off and sets a bag of grenades on fire. Everything starts exploding. The aliens are everywhere. We can't tell what's going on because of the the lighting and, and the structures and everything. One other thing we didn't mention is every Marine has a POV camera system. So as this is going down back at home base where Gorman and Weaver are, they're watching the cameras blip out as these, these soldiers are dying. You see their, their health meter, if you will, or what their vital signs go to zero. Health meter. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Video game brain, you know? But yeah, you're watching this just unravel and they're falling apart faster than they ever thought possible. Gorman freezes up and like John said, he's out of his element. He doesn't know what the fuck to do. And Ripley's got to take charge and says, God damn it, get everybody back. You know, she's got to drive that APC into the 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 inhabited area of the aliens and get those Marines out. And in the process, a few more of them die. One of them gets burned by acid and the flamethrower goes off again. We have another instance of friendly fire, literally friendly fire gets inside the APC. Gorman gets knocked out and Ripley just drives this fucking busted APC out of the danger zone until Hudson is like, ease off Ripley. We're free. You're you're just, you're, you're grinding metal at this point. I, it, it's such a great scene, like Gareth said, just to really give you the sense of you guys vastly underestimated your enemy here. They're talking about what to do. They're like, look. Right now they're being cocooned just like the others. Oh, dear Lord Jesus, this ain't happening, man. This can't be happening, man. This ain't happening. All right. We've got seven canisters of CN20. I said we roll them in there and nerve gas the whole fucking nest. That's worth a try, but we don't even know if it's going to affect him. Look, let's just bug out and call it even, okay? What are we talking about this for? I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Burke freaks out. Burke's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We have a substantial dollar amount invested in this colony. Uh, we can't just blow it up. Hicks says, I don't know if you've been keeping score, man, but we're getting our ass kicked out there. Game over, man. It's game over. Game over. 
Yeah, they're really licking their wounds at this point. And we haven't mentioned that we found Newt. Oh, right. Before they go out and um, try to find all the colonists. She's just not speaking. She's just traumatized, obviously. She's watched hundreds of people get kidnapped or murdered in this facility. And she's been hiding out and in, in, in somehow has survived. Probably months, if not longer, right? Yeah, it's definitely months at least. She just says, this little girl survived longer than that with no weapons. <laughs> Why don't you put her in charge? You better just start dealing with it, Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Everything that Pill Paxton says is a great line. Uh, too good. So after they drive away, uh, they agree. They're like, look, we're taking off and we're just going to nuke it from orbit and go home. So they call the dropship uh, and they're like, come get us. They're throwing flares. The dropship pilot is like, oh, co-pilot. I don't remember the guy's name. Come on, let's go. Uh, But he sees some sticky shit on the dropship and he tries to tell the pilot and she's like, look, we don't got time for this. Uh, Turns out it is an alien kills the co-pilot, kills the pilot, and we see the dropship crash and explode right into the APC, taking out both of their big pieces of technology now. So now all they have left are basically what they can scrounge from the rubble, uh, which turns out to be a couple of guns, some flamethrowers, and the automated turrets that we see uh, come into play later. Um, And so they basically have to hoof it back to the compound they were originally at because as Newt is kind enough to tell us it's almost nighttime and they mostly come at night mostly because of that that earlier firefight where the grenades got you know exploded and stuff like that um, it cracked one of the reactors so one of the the nuclear reactors on this uh, this colony is cracked and will go thermal at, at some point soon and that's that's where Bishop's like yo we, we we're on a ticking clock here guys yeah. And then he says, you know, uh, we can probably get a radio out to the other drop ship from the Sulaco that can come down and, and get us in time. And he's like, I don't want to go out there and do that. You know, it's it's nasty out there. I may be synthetic, but I don't want to die. But, you know, I, I understand that this is I'm the best option here. So he goes out. He's going to radio the ship in. And the rest of our crew... Let me stop you real quick, Mark, because this right here, we were talking about moments that resonated with us. This movie was the first movie or or piece of media that really got me to like deeply question and just completely just like it blew my mind wide open. The psyche of an artificial being Uh, when he says just because I'm synthetic, I I don't want to go out there and die like that blew my fucking mind as a kid like that opened up this this fascination with this concept, which is I think is a reason why I love Prometheus so much more than most, you know, like than most of the general audience is because Prometheus is just basically talking about that concept as a whole. Like what makes a creation a creation, you know, what makes a person a person. Um, but yeah, that line is my favorite line from this whole movie because it was just like, whoa. It was it was like Keanu Reeves like, whoa. Like it Man, it's so good. That scene was amazing. Let me tell you about an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation, Garrett, where (laughs) Data goes on trial and they try to determine if he's a living entity or not. It's going to blow your mind. Measure of a man. Oh, you know the episode title. (laughs) Yes, I've I've seen it. My my girlfriend is a huge Star Trek fan and uh, that's one I have seen. Yes. Say goodbye, Data. Goodbye, Data. (laughs) Was that funny? 
while Bishop's off going to go radio in the second drop ship, they have to decide how they're going to best hole up and wait for the ship to come. So they start welding doors shut. They set out the, the sentry automatic turrets, which have an unbelievably low bullet count when you think about it. Like, yeah, man, they, they really needed some extra ammo there, but maybe it all got blown up. To think they wasted a whole bunch of ammo testing it. I was every time I see that, I'm like, why? Why bother? They like throw some barrel and it shoots like 200 bullets. Yeah. Totally. You could have saved that for alien killing. Yeah, so basically boxing themselves in, going to wait out this horrible night until the ship comes and picks them up. And when the aliens start coming, man, you just hear those turrets firing off in the distance. You don't actually get to see them blow anybody away, I don't think. No. But it's so effective of just the doom coming in and enclosing around our characters. You do get to see some of it. Like there's some like of them getting shot in the hallway, but yeah, most of it's in the in the background with ambient noise. Um, the the screams of the aliens and the sound of the uh, the turrets was really effective. With like kind of like oh, you guys need to figure something out quick. Yeah, no kidding. And again, they're just watching this computer screen with the number of bullets diminished to zero. You know, the last time my bank account went negative was the last time that I was scared by numbers. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it empties out and then it starts banging on all the doors around him. And and then Burke, at this point, Burke has shown himself to be a weasel. And when he says weasel, he's not talking about Polly Shore's the weasel. Link and I are cruising the mountain, bro. And we figure we's a little juice. No, we think the juice. We think the juice. No, 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 we the juice. He's talking about like as a as a little snake in the grass type guy. No, we think the juice. His whole character, like you always feel something's off, but earlier, a little bit earlier, before they send Bishop off to get the the dropship, he calls everyone in and is like, look, I've done some studies and here's what I think. And they have this conversation where they think about maybe there's a queen alien. But the important part of really of the scene is Ripley's like, look, I want you to destroy all these specimens when you're done with them. And uh, Bishop goes, well, Mr. Burke said to keep them. He was very explicit about that. And that's sort of like the first hint that you really get or the first concrete piece that Burke isn't playing on the same team as everybody else. He's on team Burke. I want a shirt that says team Burke. <laughs> he's team company man. So he's going to bring those in and going to weaponize them, make millions of dollars. You know, there's even a scene where he's trying to convince Ripley of like, look, we're going to be rich. We just got to ride it out. You know, don't worry about it. And she's like, bullshit, Burke. They're going to know about it because I'm going to tell them. And it's like, ooh, Ripley, you overplayed your hand there. Yeah. yeah that happens right after she goes in and confronts him about saving these. And then his whole motivation is money. And she's like, "What? how are you going to get this past quarantine? And he is so slick. He's like, well, they're not going to, to, you know, to uh, Mark's point, he's like, they're not going to know. How are they going to know? Um, she's, then she's like, I'm going to tell him. And you see something kind of flip in his mind. Um, and then comes the gun scene. The guns do hold them. They, But they have five bullets left in one and I think seven in the other. And then you know, Hudson's like, look, next time they come, they're going to walk right up and knock. But Ripley's like, well, they don't know that. So the guns do scare them off for a little bit, which gives time for some sort of... Uh, for the movie to breathe a little bit because really up to this point it has just been non-stop and it doesn't really breathe that long because they're they're trying to get some rest real quick burke has released one of the face hugger specimens inside the room with ripley and newt 
um, because his plan to get it past quarantine is to basically have it face hug and impregnate itself inside of one of the human hosts, put that human host in cryo sleep until they get back to the uh, to Earth, get them through, you know, quarantine, and then boom, they just take it out of the uh, the human host. Um, so I think she was. Get, I think he was going to use Newt, honestly, first. But yeah, he lets it out inside that room, and there's this whole like crazy intense scene where they're trying to keep themselves from getting face hugged. Yeah, for me, this is probably one of the best scenes of the movie for me. Yeah, the creature effects of that face hugger running across the floor, and it's not just one Garrett; it's two of them. Um, while Ripley is trying to fight off one, the other goes for Newt, but she like pins it against the wall with a silver rolling cart. Um, you know, Burke has locked them in this room and turns off the camera and he's just like, like you said, let's get these, uh, ladies, let's get these ladies impregnated. <laughs> I almost said all egged up. <laughs> let's get these ladies knocked up, but more or less. Right. So the, we're going to get the, the incubation happening of the xenomorph inside of Newt and Ripley, then get them past customs and get them to the company. Luckily, as in this movie had me think that I always need to go somewhere with a lighter, you know, other than Resident Evil. This proves that you should always have a lighter on yourself. She sets off the fire alarm to alert everybody back in the room. Hey, there's something going on in here. Yeah. The Marines come in, bust through the glass and, and manage to save them just in the nick of time as the facehuggers got its tail wrapped around Ripley's throat. And then Bert has his, his reckoning of this guy's a piece of shit. We're going to kill him. And right when they're going to go execute Burke, the motion sensors start going off. There is a semi-important scene between the automated guns and when the facehugger attacks. Hudson shows Ripley how to shoot the pulse rifle. That part, not super important, but he gives her a tracker, right? And he's like, look, will you wear this? I can always tell where you are. Ripley turns around and gives that tracker to Newt, which comes into play later in the film. Because that's going to come heavily into play for the uh, the final act. It's Chekhov's tracker. <laughs> it is Chekhov's tracker. The aliens attack and seemingly save Burke. Burke skedaddles. Um, he goes and locks himself in the medical ward. Did you just say skedaddled? Yeah, he's skedaddled. Every episode, John, you say something that only my grandparents would say. <laughs> I love it so much, man. All right, go on. So... He's gone, and the Marines are using those hand motion trackers that Mark uh, had mentioned. Seven. Six. Can't be. That's inside the room. It's reading right, man. Look. Well, you're not reading it right. Five meters, man. Four. What the hell? And Ripley, she has an idea to look in the ceiling because uh, it's like a, one of those drop ceilings. So she moves the panel, looks up, and is just flooded with aliens as far as she could see. And then battle happens. Let me go over there! Get him! Uh, they try to retreat to medical. They're like, Burke, open the door, open the door. And he's just like, ha ha ha, fuck y'all. I'm going to make it out of this. But turns out an alien was, or a xenomorph, was in medical, kills Burke, dead. The old comeuppance. He got his, his promotion into the afterlife. 
Yeah. So as they're retreating, this is where Newt shows her worth, Garrett. And I do want to point out that without her, they would have died. Uh-huh. She knows the layout of this place so well and the ins and outs of all these like intricate air ducts and all these tunnels and so forth. Like Newt leads them to safety. Unfortunately, they don't all make it out. Gorman has come around. He's wounded, but he's still kind of in the back shooting the aliens as they run away along with Vasquez. And in the uh, retreat, but they both blow up and taking out a few more, but they had like a little grenade device. So I think at that last moment, Gorman had a little bit of respect from at least Vasquez. Yeah, because they killed themselves to buy the other people time, essentially, so that Hudson, Ripley, and Newt can get to the the landing pad. Hicks dies as well. He gets overrun by aliens. Very uh, dramatic death. Yeah. And I I don't want to dwell on it too much. We've talked a lot about Hicks, but just to point out, Garrett, I think Hicks does have some sort of character arc here. You know, he goes from overconfident to super afraid to finally dealing with and being more of a heroic character in the end. I mean, he whines along the way, but you know, it takes Ripley to really tell him to shape up and get this shit in gear here, soldier, you know, that kind of shit. So it may not be as deep as some of the other characters of the franchise, but I think there is a small character arc there. I, I just don't know. Like one act at the end of your 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 role doesn't really excuse what you've done for the past two hours. And this is a long movie. Let's point out, this is not a tight 130. Yeah. This movie's like two hours and something minutes long. And that's another Cameron <laughs> staple is a movie that's just wait. How long was fucking Terminator 2? Like two hours and 40 minutes or something like that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a redeeming moment. Uh, it just doesn't like at that point, the writing was on the wall for everybody. So I think it was just kind of like, and yeah, that makes sense. And we'd already had Vasquez and um, what's his face kill themselves. So it was also kind of even sort of not as even as heroic. Cause it was like, we've already just seen people do this. So it just seemed kind of like what everyone else was doing at that point to me. So I can hear Hicks's mom. Now, if everyone else killed themselves by Xenomorph, would you, <laughs> and he'd have something really quippy and awesome to say back. <laughs> Turns out the answer is yes. So new falls and gets separated from Ripley and Hudson. And they go chase after her. They find her. She, they're on top of, basically the floor above where she's in. She's in some sort of water-filled pit. Why this exists, who knows. Uh, But they have a flooded sub-basement. Newt's standing up there. They're trying to get to her. uh, So they have to cut through this grating. Uh, This movie does do a lot of good tension scenes. Now I'm talking through it. Uh, So they're cutting through this grating. They're almost there. And Newt gets taken by the xenomorphs. And Ripley flips out, right? She's like, look, they don't kill you. They don't kill you. We can still save her. She's still alive. They don't kill you right away. And Hudson's like, yeah, okay, fine. Maybe that's true, but we got to get to the dropship. And he convinces her to get to the dropship first. And the reason we know that they don't kill you right away is because that very first scene we talked about earlier in the episode where like the Marines... The first thing where they they get their uh, ammunition taken away, the reason they know to go there is because there's still life signs from the uh, the colonists. And so they realize at this point that they put you in these like weird kind of like sticky cocoon things on the wall, but you're not dead fully. So that's how she knows like they're taking her, but she's not dead yet. So we need to go get her. Right. Good. Good point. And what they do, this just seems mean. They keep you alive and then put an egg right in front of you and you're basically alive until that egg hatches. <laughs> That's why they do it. They're doing it because they're mean. 
<laughs> oh, you mean old xenomorph. Yeah, how cruel of them. So they get to the dropship. Bishop is there, and he's like, great news. We got plenty of time, 26 minutes. All we got to do is fly away. And Ripley is like, listen, you're not going anywhere. I got to go back in there. You stay right here. Hudson, don't let him leave. Um, Hudson's like, thumbs up. He's all fucked up, too. There, he, he gets acid on, like, half of his body. So he's injured but conscious. So he just sort of gives, like, a thumbs up sign. And he says, we're not going anywhere. This is the part of the movie that really kind of, and I, I understand it. I'm willing to let it go because it's a film. But for someone who was like, fuck this place, let's nuke it from orbit, she's going to risk the whole operation to go back and get a kid, a kid that she doesn't know. I understand they have a connection and they've been through some stuff and she's got this bond and kind of feels this obligation. Cool. I get that. I understand that. But this part really, really kind of bothered me because she was willing to like sacrifice and nuke this fucking place. And now she's like, no, 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 no. Let's risk it all for a child. And I'm kind of like, you know what? There's millions of kids in the universe. Find another one. <laughs> she tells Newt when they're about to fall asleep, right? She's like, look, I'm never going to leave you. She looks the kid in the eye and makes that promise. She's, I'm never going to leave you. Don't make that promise to a kid. Garrett's <laughs> aliens tagline would be, there's millions of other kids in the universe. Go find another one. Aliens, fuck them kids. Okay, that's really good. <laughs> well, the well, the thing to point out, Garrett, is this is going nuclear, whether they're going to do it or not. You know what I mean? This isn't like they got to go upstairs and press the button in the Sulaco. Like, this place is going to blow anyway. So it's like either save the kid or save yourself. That's really mm-hmm. what it boils down to. Save yourself and make sure this threat can't get off the planet. Uh, you know, look, I know this is going to make me sound like a terrible person, but I feel like in this situation, the greater good is some rando kid or making sure we can get this planet nuked. I mean, I guess you could take yourself out in the process, but ooh, it's risky. Telling It'd be one thing to tell Bishop to stay, which she did. It'd be nothing like, okay, you guys get out of here. I'm going to go try to rescue this kid. Yeah, but this is, this is no longer a mission of destroying the aliens. That's already going to happen because the factory is going nuclear, right? So it's literally, it's a, it's, it's positioning self-preservation or uh, you know saving a child. That's really what it's coming down to for for Ripley at this point. And as John pointed out, because of the connection with her daughter and in her dying without being able to say goodbye, there's that whole my uh, I said I was going to be back on her eleventh birthday. You know now that that's been placed onto Newt being that surrogate daughter. She promises she's going to take care of her to make sure she gets out of it. And I know I, I know you get that. It's just the point that you're not a big fan of. I know, I know. But I think that, that it's all laid out pretty clearly. And, and um, it makes sense that she would go try to save Nude in the last 15 minutes here. It does. It just seems, you know, to 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 your point of people making dumb decisions in Prometheus, and I, I actually understand those characters' decisions in Prometheus more than I understand this one. It's just one of those things like if you want to not break your promise and be there for her forever, even up to the moment of, you know, thermonuclear detonation. Cool. Go be with her. But let Bishop go. Like, don't make him stay and sacrifice himself because you've got some fucking like obligation because of a promise you made 25 minutes ago. Like, again, though, this is a this is a character choice and I'm okay with it. Let's just we'll move on. I don't think Ripley intended for Bishop to stay up until the explosion, I think the intention was like, you know, one minute before 
I don't think she intended for them all to die if she doesn't return. Okay. But maybe I'm just being charitable. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, you know what? I like that version better. So yeah, we're going with that. So you're right. So robot people, you're safer in Garrett's book than a live child. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, let's get on with this plot line. So Ripley decides that she's going to go back into the belly of the beast to save um, Newt. She goes and she kind of goes into like the, the alien queen hive. I don't think we've seen the queen at this point yet, though, have we? This is the reveal, right? Yeah. So she goes down there. She finds Newt um, stuck to the wall with a bunch of silly putty and snot. She pulls her off the wall. She's like, I told you I'd come back. And Newt's like, Ripley, you're the greatest fake mom ever. Did you call her space mom? I said fake mom. <laughs> fake mom. Yeah, she could be a space mom, too. Oh, I like space mom. So they're they're about to get out, but she kind of notices uh, the eggs and stuff. And then she sees the reveal that there is a queen who is laying these eggs and who is the center focal point of this species on LV420, which is what's making these, these alien xenomorphs. And she's like, fuck it. We're going to burn this bitch out of existence. And so she does. She starts going on this crazy little, like, you know, flamethrower tirade. It's this really, like, impactful scene where she's holding the kid in one arm and flamethrowing and everything else with the other arm. And the alien queen mom is just not thrilled about this. You know, she's a little she's a little bummed out because she also came to this planet and found random like kids and was like, you know what, I'll be your mom. And then created this whole society. And then some other random mom comes and finds another kid and then ruins it for her. So um, bada bing, bada boom. Here we go. And I don't remember what happens after this exactly. So someone else take the wheel. Are you saying that this is an interstellar cat fight, Garrett? <laughs> it might as well be. <laughs> what One interesting thing during the scene is is the aliens are loath to attack Ripley while she's hurting, while she can hurt the queen, which is sort of more evidence that they're not just dumb animals. Because earlier they cut the power, right before their attack, they cut the power to where uh, everyone, like the fort. Um, and now we see they recognize a threat to the queen, right? So there is some intelligence there. I just thought that was interesting to see. And the queen also understands like, hey, I got to let this one kind of go or she's going to burn everything to the ground, all my eggs, you know? Mm -hmm. But then she does it anyway. Like Ripley watches one of the eggs kind of open up and one of the face huggers starts moving around. She's like, you know what? Fuck this. And then just lights <laughs> the room on fire. And as the alien queen freaks the fuck out, she hightails it back to the dropship point and the ship is gone. And she's just like, I can't believe it. Bishop left me. Well, he didn't. He just had to fly around a little bit, picks him up right at the last moment. She very cheesily yells, Bishop, <laughs> as everything's blowing up around her. That was, a, that was a very 80s thing. And I really love the ascension of, you know, Ripley's got to take an elevator back to the surface and you see the alien queen detach herself and start chase. Mm -hmm. Well, she gets to the elevator and you see the alien queen look at the elevator door open and like tilts her head like a dog would. Yes. You know, like, oh, I get it. And then there's a great scene of the empty elevator coming up to the surface and then opening up and then an alien queen and just emerges. And I, I really enjoy that scene as well. The last like 20 minutes of this movie is very elevator heavy. Hudson gets hurt because the elevator doors wouldn't close when ripley's going down into the hive she has to press the button like 50 times when she's going up she's got to press the button a bunch uh elevator technology does not improve in the next 200 years mm, apparently not but yeah bishop saves them at the last minute they hop on the drop ship and go back to the Sulaco. and you think everything is going to be fine and dandy 
But it ain't fine and dandy. skiddle do. What did you say, John? Ski-daddle. Skidaddle. Well, <laughs> Ripley has such a touching scene with Bishop. <laughs> skiddle de do. Uh, skiddle. Yeah. What is that? Uh, Ripley has this touching scene where she's like, you did good, Bishop. And he's like, I did? And he's so happy that he like bonded with Ripley. And then the alien cream, cream, the alien queen just rips him in half and just throws him to different sides of the cargo bay and Ripley's like Jesus you're still here I was so upset that scene almost made me cry as a kid when Bishop got ripped in half I was like it's touching because yeah he's he's won over this person who will who just will never trust you know the the synthetics because of her history with him and then he kind of proved himself he kind of redeemed them and himself in her eyes and that that meant so much to him and then to have him get ripped apart because of some yeah. stupid ass alien yeah that that got me that one always gets me this is probably the most violent the movie gets on screen even though bishop is an android you watch a guy get torn in half all of uh, his innards get spread which are looking super gross uh nuke goes and hides ripley lures the queen away um and that's when she manages to get into the loader and they have their loader versus alien fight. The Rock'em Sock'em robot fight. <laughs> it's great, man. Yeah. It's probably one of the more classic parts of this movie. I think this is also another one that everyone sort of knows, right? Ripley hits a button and opens the airlock. And then as she's trying to throw the alien queen into the airlock, that uh, she gets pulled in with her. So Alien and, and Ripley inside the loader just tumble down into the airlock and she's got to free herself from her gear, kind of trying to climb out via a ladder while the alien's holding on on her leg. The airlock opens up and everything starts getting sucked out. And John, you watch a lot more space stuff than I do. I'm going to have to probably say that Ripley would have lost her grip to the suction of space, right? I mean, or would have torn her arm off or something. The absolute nerdiest thing to tell you is uh, uh, they are blown out into space. They are not sucked out. <laughs> but anyway, yes, I don't think anyone could hold on to that level of suction for lack of a better term but she somehow does look at the end of alien resurrection do you guys remember the end of that film where the the tiny alien baby is sucked through the fucking like pencil size hole in the the hole of the ship just due to decompression there's no if, if it can suck a organic creature through a hole that's small then fucking ripley's little like you know Turbo grip is never going to be able to hold her inside that. But we, it's a movie. We've come this far. We've come two hours and something minutes into it. Let's just accept what happens. <laughs> Let's also not think about how much an alien queen probably weighs. And when that's hanging on your sneaker, oh boy, you ain't going to last. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yo, do not body shame her. She works hard. She just gave birth. All right. She's got the baby weight. She's trying to slim down, Mark. God, you are just real inconsiderate, well, sir. Look, the Xeno exoskeleton probably weighs a couple hundred pounds alone i know she's looking trim and fit man but that that arm of hers is gonna weigh her down that's all i'm saying girl you looking good <laughs> well the alien queen gets sucked off oh man i almost said sucked off hold on <laughs> <laughs> well the alien queen gets sucked out the airlock when ripley's shoe comes loose and she crawls back inside of the Sulaco, hits the button and uh manages to uh end this movie with all of her limbs intact uh, poor Bishop there is still alive and, and moving around, but he's only uh, half the man he used to be. Play the uh, Stone Temple Pilots tune if you want 
for full effect. <laughs> but they go into cryo sleep and then that's that. Yep. The movie has a kind of an abrupt ending and I'm not a big fan of how the last scene in the movie is a still frame. I don't know if you guys can tell that, but the last shot is just a still image. It's not a, like the camera's still rolling hmm. and fades out. I found it kind of off-putting, but uh, yeah, you know, I guess Cameron got tired. He had to get out uh, and, and and get this one on the editing uh, floor. I will. I will say. I mean, it's hard. I don't want to talk about the length of the movie because I voluntarily watch a director's cut, which is like two hours and forty-five minutes. But I don't think it needed two endings. I think it could have. I don't know that the battle with the queen in the ship actually added anything to the movie. They could have ended with the dropship flying up. You know, the end. Um, that extra 15 or 20 minutes. I mean, it was cool. It was cool to see the battle between the queen and the lifter robot. Um, but man, it does make the movie drag a little. I think you're absolutely right. I think if like they were, they were get like if the, the queen had jumped up onto the ship and Bishop ran back to kind of help Ripley, like get into the drop ship. And then he got ripped in half on the, the back of the ship and like only had his top half was left and they, they flew off up to the um Salako. and they get up to there and the end of the movie there i think would have been a much more impactful better ending um i agree with you on that one john the 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 fight with the loader is so iconic but yeah i i don't really enjoy that part too much well if i have to compare this to another franchise that i love dearly and that's friday the 13th i think the first movie might have set the precedent that every movie following has to have that Second fight with Jason, you know what I mean? Him hopping out of the water, one last thrill. Same thing happened in Alien, right? Like she gets away, but then the aliens inside of her escape pod and she's got to blow blow that out of the airlock. So I wonder if there was an expectation of like, we kind of need to have that second ending like the first one did. True. Yeah, except in except in the first Alien, though, it's a complete shock that the alien is on board. It's not even an expectation of like, ooh, there might still be something going on. You you 100% believe without a shadow of a doubt that Ripley got off the Nostromo and everything's all good. When that alien pops back up, holy crap, that is that is one of the most tense scenes in, in cinema ever for me. In Aliens, it almost felt like we're not done here. Like it, it really kind of felt like, hey, we're not safe. It, it, you really kind of it felt telegraphed of like there's more happening here than them just getting away. Fortunately, Aliens Three fixes the ending of your movie for you, Mark. So don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Well, James Cameron had no intention of Newt dying in one of his uh, that same article that I, I mentioned in the Star Log from 1987. He says there is no alien inside. Uh, Newt, just like there was no alien inside Jonesy, uh, I wouldn't be that cool. Obviously, Alien 3 handed off to, was it David Fincher, right? Yep. Um, after many, 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 many rewrites. Cameron didn't have any intention of Newt and Hicks being dead by the time Alien 3 started rolling out. Well, fortunately, Fincher did us all a solid and took those two little fuckers out <laughs> right out the gate, post-credits, straight there, so... I appreciate that. (laughs) I would say unceremoniously, too. There's just like a a splash of text on screen and be like, they're dead. Let's get going. (laughs) Well, no, there's more than that. Remember in the first one, like they basically like they find her in the ship and then like the the people who find her, the the prisoners are like, what about these other two? They're like, there's no life signs. Let's go. And then later on, they have to go back and get the bodies and do an autopsy on them. Um, And there's a pretty much she has to like confront the fact that Newt died in the crash and she has quite a bit of a breakdown. It really affects her. Now, I will say 
If you watch the theatrical version of Aliens 3, this does not belong anywhere high on your list. But the extended one, the one that was supposed to be done, <laughs> is a fucking great film. But anyway, now you remember when uh, Neil Blomkamp, the guy who did District 9, District 8 was actually okay. They had pretty good infrastructure and, uh, you know, a really good social system. So, but District 9 was all fucked up. <laughs> um, that guy was going to do a spiritual sequel uh, the, his, he was supposed to do the the latest Aliens film, and he was going to pick up exactly after two where Newt and Hudson didn't die, uh, more or less negating Aliens 3 and Aliens Resurrection, which we're fine with negating Resurrection, but that was his plan, and then they stopped that. They didn't do that. They ended up doing uh, Prometheus and stuff like that, which I'm very glad they did. It would have been interesting to see a sequel to Aliens, kind of like we got that Halloween revival, you know, knocking out all the sequels. I, I, I'm not saying it would have been good, necessarily. I haven't seen a lot of Camp films other than District 9, which I did like. It would just be a weird oddity, I think, to see it now and be like, man, there's two different timelines with these alien movies. Yeah, and especially with if like Prometheus still existed and stuff like that, to see how those would play out, that would be really interesting. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't the worst idea. And honestly, if you wanted to pick up after three, I would have been totally fine. But to negate three really bothered me because we learned so much at the end of that movie about the Wayland Utani Company and like their overall general ideas and concepts. Man, it's a it's a waste. But anyway, Aliens, the sequel to the classic Alien, was a solid, amazing sci-fi 80s flick that people love and revere forever, as they should. It's just not my favorite cup of tea. Well, three recommendations from us, even from Garrett, even if it's not his favorite tea. He likes oolong, (laughs) but uh, that's all right. Anything else you want to mention about the Aliens franchise or James Cameron or Avatar or Space Mamas? Anything? No. Well, that was that was real succinct there, John. <laughs> John John's checking his email at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is a long one, but there's a lot to say about this franchise. I mean, it's been around for 40 plus years now. Um, so you can't just start talking about the second movie and not get into the first one a little bit and kind of the overarching uh, Alien franchise um it's one of my favorites i think it it is definitely one of my favorite ips ever uh could be uh, that you know when i was introduced to it you know still being probably around eight or nine the first time i saw it on tv it just stuck with me and it always will i have a soft spot for this one in predator so you know as they continue to make these movies i will continue to go and support it good or bad aliens versus predator which is very bad. Um, hopefully they don't ever do that again. But we, there's still talks of the third Prometheus movie um, dubbed Alien Awakening. I think as recently as a few months ago, Ripley, uh, Ripley, Ridley Scott is still talking about it. So hopefully Disney will let us get one more in that franchise. Are you serious? Because the last I heard, the last I heard is that they were just like, like, no, fuck it. We're done. Like, it, because, oh God, see, I want to talk about Alien Covenant so bad because Alien Covenant is an amazing script, an amazing sequel to Prometheus, and the goddamn studios fucked it up by adding the original Alien plotline into that storyline because the fans were like, we want more Xenomorphs. We want the familiar. We want what we, you know, God, oh, 
anyway, I will digress before I get on that freaking soapbox. But look, don't call it an alien movie if you're not going to have aliens. That's, I mean, this is a deeper philosophical conversation, but Prometheus could have very well been its own thing. It, there's no reason we needed to go into the backstory of the engineers and all of that to start your own universe. I, but I know studios only like to beat dead horses and don't want to create new shit so i understand why ridley scott did what he had to do but i don't think it's un it's uh unreasonable for alien fans to want aliens in their alien movie but it wasn't an alien movie it was prometheus it was its own thing that just took place in the world of the alien franchise and it was just talking about the they marketed it well, that's as an alien movie but that's the marketing team that's not ridley scott when you listen to the, the the director's commentary on that he was like it's supposed to be its own thing it's an origin story of this concept of life Yes, there is some overlap, but we're in the universe, and that's the universe we live in. Now, when Alien Covenant came out, he had a script, which was about the whole David thing and him trying to basically go back to that planet and, um, mm -hmm. you know, like build up, you know, like build up this whole, like, the origin of life. What does it mean to be creator versus, you know, like all that stuff? And the studio was like, great, you need to add aliens and you need to add xenomorphs into it. And they hired a second writer. Who went? Who was told to basically duplicate the plot of the original movie into the script, and that's why everyone gets killed in a similar fashion. That's why it hunts. In the, I mean, they they more or less basically just said, take the thing that people liked, add it into the story, which is not supposed to be this, and then we're happy with that. And then everyone was like, it feels like two different movies, and it's like, well, no shit, because the studio took this really interesting concept, was which is not an alien movie then change the title to have the word alien in it. It's supposed to be like Prometheus something lost or something like that. I don't remember. But um, yeah, no, he had a vision for a, a unique trilogy of movies that basically talked about this, this concept, this really heady, deep, awesome concept. And then the studio was like, put aliens in it. And there we go. So I agree with you, but... The, the, the blame does not belong on Scott for this one, I don't feel. I'd agree with that. I don't want to blame Ridley Scott, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I blame the system, man. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> well, yeah, Ridley, Ridley is uh, still trying to get that third one made, so hopefully it'll come out at some point and wrap up the Prometheus idea that he had. Um, but that's Aliens. We'd all uh, recommend the second of the franchise, and uh, what are we doing next week, Garrett? What's on the docket? You mean next time? So the next film we have, I believe, is uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. Uh, I think the one with Matthew McConaughey is the next movie we have. Oh, boy. You guys are in for a treat. This movie is something else. I love treats. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say the treat was good, John. It's just it, uh, it could be a bad treat, but we'll find out next week. I mean, without... What's a bad treat? Yeah, I don't want to get too philosophical, but I think by its very essence, treats have to be good. Otherwise, it's not a treat. Unless it's Treat Williams. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, I think this has gone on long enough. It's time for us to ski-daddle. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks for the next generation of Leatherface. Leatherface.